and welcome to Line One, Your Health Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Alaska has the fastest growing senior population per capita, with those aged 60 and older making up 19.5% of our communities. It is estimated that there are nearly 8,500 elderly with Alzheimer's and related dementia. 20% of Alaskans 45 and older with one or more chronic diseases also experience cognitive decline. Our fortunate elders are supported by caregivers, but sadly, they often suffer from depression, a sense of helplessness and frustration over a lack of resources and support. Occupational therapists can often provide much needed services to allow all of us to age with dignity in our homes and provide caregiver support. Joining us today is Dr. Brianna James, an occupational therapist and owner of Authentic Living LLC. She provides outpatient occupational therapy for post-stroke rehabilitation and for those living with chronic diseases. Also joining us is Ms. Emily Bile. She is also an occupational therapist and the owner of Wellhaven Occupational Therapy, a clinic focused on aging in place and support for caregivers of loved ones with dementia. Dr. James and Ms. Bile, welcome. Thank you. Thanks We're for so having excited. me. Thank you. And you can also join our conversation. Do you have a personal experience with recovery from a stroke? Are you a caregiver to a loved one that has been diagnosed with dementia? Are you trying to identify resources available to the aging population? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 907-550-8433, 907-550-8433. Eight four three three, or email us your questions or comments at line one at alaskapublic.org. Before we begin, I want to say that, of course, today's program is about aging adults and the elderly, and it is quite sad that we cannot provide or won't provide the full spectrum of care that our elderly deserve to be given with dignity and respect. However, it's also a great tragedy that we can't protect our own children, and I'm going to try not to cry, but it's so sad that families can't send their children to school to learn with the expectation that they're going to come home at the end of the day, and that teachers can't go to school with the expectation or just having on their minds their lesson plans or maybe behavior issues in their classroom. So my thoughts and, and my prayers go out to the families in the community of Uvalde, Texas, and especially to the loved ones of the children that were killed and the teachers that were killed. And, you know, it's clear that we don't know what we need to do to protect our children, but doing nothing isn't working. Arguing isn't working. We need to progress. We need to just take that step forward and do something. So I just want to take this moment and it's not like this is the only thing that's happened in our community and this is far away from us but these things touch us and so I just we need to get on with our show and we need to talk about our beloved elderly population because even black elderly people can't go to the grocery store without suffering loss so we have to get on and I thank you both for being here to tackle this very important subject and a very serious subject of taking care of our aging adults and our elderly. So let's learn about you 
and learn more about what you do. And let's start with you, Dr. James, and have you just tell us what occupational therapy is. Yeah. <clears throat> so occupational therapy. So it is a type of therapy that helps people recover from illness or an injury using activities, um, using everyday activities, what we do during our day-to-day lives. So we use the activity ex- itself to, prom- to promote wellness. But then we also use different interventions such as exercise and manual therapy. Um, and really those activities or occupations can be anything from brushing your teeth in the morning to managing your medication to going to the grocery store. So occupation covers all of those things. So, And we know that what we do on a day-to-day basis matters. Uh, It affects our physical health and it affects our mental health. And when you can't do those things in the way that you're used to doing them or the way that you want to do them, um, you can see that in your daily life and and, and that impacts your life in a real way. Um, And I think that, you know, the pandemic really showed a lot of people that. It Mm -hmm. kind of uprooted their routines it changed what they were doing. And, you know, occupational therapists, we talk a lot about occupational balance, meaning we want a combination of physical activities, spiritual activities, social activities. And when that's disrupted, you can start to see it, your life kind of, you you know, for lack of a better term, um, unravel. Um, And so we want to promote that balance. And so because this conversation is about aging in place, as you get older and you experience, you know, multiple chronic diseases or your mobility changes or pain or a cognitive decline, those activities look different. And so our job is to help you either recover and be able to do those activities the way you did them before, and if not possible, teach you a different way. Um, and that's kind of the fun part of occupational therapy is we get to be really creative and we really get to, to know people. Right. It seems like you're going to be very involved in a patient's life on a, on a deeper, meaningful level. Yes. Yeah. And you really have to form a relationship because you're getting very, um, you're getting very personal. You know, something that we often do in a hospital setting is a shower evaluation, Right. And that's very, wow. you know, I, I say that to, to say that as occupational therapists, we have to be humble um, and we have to respect pers- a person's autonomy and how they want to do things um, and, and really work with them where they are at right now. Start with where they're at right now. Do you work along with a medical team? Yes, we do. So in, especially when you're in the hospital setting, Um, You have a lot of interactions with doctors and nurses and really working to, you know, help the patient implement what the doctors are also advocating for. So if they're advocating for more physical, um, uh, better physical exercise routine or just more movement in general, then yeah. So we, we, we communicate a lot with the medical team to make sure we're on the same page and to make sure that we really understand 
what's going on medically with the patient. So we're not either maybe asking too much of them, right? And or we're not asking too little. Um, and we do, you know, during a therapy session, we are looking at things like blood pressure and heart rate and oxygen. So, and I think that's where the skill comes in. So if you're doing a cooking task with a patient who's just recently come home from the hospital and they're struggling to breathe, well, we're going to make sure, you know, if, if breathing is impacting them, we're going to monitor, monitor their oxygen, monitor their heart rate to make sure you know, we're not, we're not putting them in danger. Well, you mentioned physical therapy, and I know people will have the question, what is the difference between physical therapy and occupational therapy? Yes, we get that question a lot. I think many people know what physical therapy is. If they tear an ACL in their knee, they go to physical therapy for exercises um, and assessments and all the many things that physical therapists can do. When it comes to older adults, um, the physical therapist in their many capacities looks at exercise, movement, function of muscles and joints, whereas the occupational therapist comes in and looks at somebody's overall functioning and how that relates to whatever diagnosis they're working with. So I think it helps with examples. Let's take back pain. If you're suffering from back pain, you may get a referral to a physical therapist who's going to assess you, maybe give you a home exercise program and ways to build up strength in areas that may be weak. As an occupational therapist, we look at how is that back pain impacting your daily life? So are you not able to stand and cook yourself breakfast in the morning because your back hurts too much? How can we modify your environment so you can still do that? Um, Do we need to um, change the way you position your body, whether when you're sleeping or when you're getting dressed to alleviate some of that pain? Do we need to change the activities so that you're still able to participate and do what you need to do to take care of yourself, whether that's bathing, getting dressed, taking care of your children, Um, but we are looking at it from your physiological issue. How can we modify that so you are not losing your independence, your skills, your autonomy? Do most of your patients have caregivers or do you also take care of people that are living independently? Um, Both actually. Um, Many people who have multiple chronic diseases or issues including dementia um, do find themselves living alone and I think in Alaska particularly we have family that may live out of state or um, may have moved elsewhere so there's not as much support so what we do as therapists is um, evaluate what issues they're they're dealing with that are making it harder for them to live independently and we'll address those issues so that they can maintain their independence for as long as possible as safely as possible Um, and that doesn't include only us Like Brianna said, in the hospitals, we work with a multidisciplinary team. So um, we advocate for all of our patients to get the services that they need. We're one part of that team. Whereas if um, somebody I'm working with 
has challenges with tremors and they're having difficulty cooking and bathing, I can step in in those areas, but they'd probably benefit from a physical therapist to prevent um, falls and build on strength and balance. Um, so we're always thinking about, okay, what? how can we bring like a holistic team around this person to support them? Are there ever times where you encounter a patient that is living independently, but you don't feel like it's safe for them to continue to do so? And what would you do? Yes. And um, occupational therapy is focused on the person to maximize independence and safety is always the bottom line. However, we also honor people's autonomy. You know, there will be people who in my in my expertise and experience probably shouldn't be living alone, but if they have the cognitive abilities to make that decision for themselves, then that's their their choice. Our our um, role in this is to help them as much as possible, give them access to the resources that they need, and make sure they know what to do if they decide that they need a more help living, um, either need more help in the home or they need to make a transition to some type of other living situation. Well, Ms. Bile, what led you to pursue this career in occupational therapy? Well, um, I was volunteering with a lot of older adults and kind of figuring out where my next career path would go. And the more I learned about occupational therapy, because initially I didn't know what it was either, I felt that this aligned with my values in a way where I could work with older adults who are experiencing physical or cognitive decline in a way that was extremely meaningful and patient-centered. Um, once I was in my master's program at Western Michigan University, my mom's parents started to decline and have, and they both had mild dementia, but it was severely impacting their ability to live independently. I witnessed that toll on my mom of taking care of them while not living with them and communicating with her siblings and watching my grandparents slowly decline in their ability to take care of themselves. So that was kind of the little light bulb that said, okay, this is where I want to specialize in working with older adults so that they we can prevent falls in the home, prevent hospitalizations, help their family members so they can be as supported as possible. Thank you. That is so meaningful. And, and I remember seeing those things with my own family members. And I'm glad that it impacted you in a way that you're able to provide for others. Uh, Dr. James, how about you? What led you to pursue this career? Well, yeah, <clears throat> I started out, so I went to UAA. I'm from Alaska. And I received my bachelor's in psychology. And like Emily, I didn't know what occupational therapy was was. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something that combined mental health and movement. Um, I worked as a Pilates instructor and so I, I saw I saw the impact of movement on mental health and I you know in my in my education starting to understand mental health more and a friend said, well look into occupational therapy and I looked into it and, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, kind of perfect. This is exactly what I want to do. Um, and so I went to Creighton University. They have a hybrid program where I received my doctorate. Um, 
Yeah, and then since then, I've kind of worked in a lot of different areas, trying, and that's the one nice thing about, or one of the many nice things about occupational therapy is you can work in different settings and different areas. So I've worked in pediatrics. I've worked with adults. Um, I've worked in the hospital setting, which is where I met Emily. Um, and, and while working in the hospital setting, I really started to see the impact that of chronic diseases and, and chronic conditions, the impact they have on your physical health. And, and like Emily said, I, I kind of felt, I started to feel like, wow, if I could intervene earlier, um, if occupational therapy could have intervened earlier, I really felt like we could, you know, we can't prevent all hospitalizations, but I felt like, felt like with some of these patients, we really could have prevented hospitalizations. Um, and with our older populations, a hospitalization itself is, can, and with somebody who has cognitive decline, a hospitalization can be, can be very traumatic um, and scary because you don't know where you are. Um, and, and you and you're out of your routine. And and so so with all of that, um, that's what led me um, to want to work with individuals with chronic conditions. Is there a role for you to play in early intervention before a person even is diagnosed with dementia? Are there opportunities to prevent dementia on some level, to prevent at least or prolong the amount of time that you could spend on your own. Do you ever, are there, is there ever a role for you to provide these services to people? I, I don't know if there's like an age limit or an age cutoff where at this age you need to go and get this help, but you know, what kind of things can we do? Because we're all going to get older, hopefully, right? So what kind of things can we do to, besides genetic manipulation, to prevent the onset so one of them, I guess, would be decreasing chronic disease. Does that, in fact, decrease our our cognitive decline as well or dementia? Yes. <clears throat> so chronic diseases do impact um, your the likelihood that you will have cognitive decline. So the more chronic conditions you experience, the more likely that you are going to experience cognitive decline. So with that said, with your initial question regarding whether OT has a role almost in that early intervention piece, and I think we do, because oftentimes I think providers see patients and the patient might not be managing their medication, or they might express feelings of depression or sadness or pain. Um, and so I think occupational therapists have the ability to really go in and work with somebody and see how all of those things are impacting their day-to-day -day lives. Um, and we also can do a cognitive screen. It's not an evaluation that would you know, determine or diagnose if somebody had dementia, but what it can tell us is that, ooh, okay, these are some of these areas that they're struggling with. Um, and they are experiencing some cognitive impairment, and that's in fact impacting their day-to-day -day lives. And then we communicate with their medical team. Oh, that's very interesting. I think that's part of what, why aging in place is very important. And one thing that Alaska leaders are focused on, if we can intervene 
earlier in an adult, older adult's life and do a home safety evaluation, make recommendations so that they're able to function at their best at home. They're continuing to take care of themselves. They're continuing to cook meals for themselves. Um, and we're preventing falls because like Brianna said, even if you don't have cognitive decline as an older adult, being hospitalized can be very traumatic and it can also set you back health-wise, much more so than somebody who's younger. Um, so to get in there earlier and have somebody set up in a way that can be successful, in a way that they can manage their medications so that they're, they are maintaining their blood pressure, they are maintaining their diabetes in a way that's healthy, um, we can step into that role to try to prevent as much health-related suffering as possible. Yes, thank you. We have a caller. We have Paul from Anchorage. Paul, welcome to Line One. Hi. Hi. You have a yeah. comment for us? Well, I just was, you know, my mom is, uh, I care for my mom, and uh, we've had in-home um, health workers, physical therapists, occupational therapists come in from time to time. And it's really helpful, not not just for the physical therapy or occupational therapy point, uh, you know, uh, services that they provide, but also they, they also um, have been very helpful in um, readjusting my mindset or my attitudes or perceptions about things uh, in the way that I care for her. So it's, it's kind of like a great um, trainer to come into the home and to sort of helps to uh, maintain a, a healthy environment for the for the client um, and it's been you know and as you know and I imagine it's probably really beneficial in, in just having you know company you know someone new into the home and in my, my mom's case you know maybe that's not as important but but um, she has appreciated just having that new face in the house anyways if someone didn't have it you know family taking care of them you know how important that would be Right, to have that contact. Yeah, unfortunately, Medicare doesn't really provide for a lot of coverage. So, you know, it's, it's a very short-lived experience, you know, a few weeks. Um, but, um, you know, at least that's the way it's been in my mom's case, you know. Um, but still, it's quite valuable. And um, we continue to experience the benefits of the visitations that we've had, even though it's been many months since the last time. Uh, we've had a, a visitation from someone. So I just wanted to call in and thank these folks for their choice and um, and their vocation. And and it's it's been really meaningful to us. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for sharing that. And what a blessing for your mother to have you to, to help her and advocate for her. And we will get into some of the insurance and Medicare information. We'll have to probably do that after our break. But thank you. You are listening to Line One, Your Health Connection. If you have a question or comment for our guest today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, or in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. After this short break, we will continue our discussion of aging in place and caregiver support with guests Dr. Brianna James and Ms. Emily Bile as Line 1 continues statewide. 
You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. People who smoke or have smoking-related conditions like lung and heart disease are more likely to get seriously ill from COVID-19. Not using any tobacco or e-cigarette products is one of the best ways to keep your immune system strong, ready to fight all kinds of viruses. If you decide to quit, help is available. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text READY to 200-400 to get the support you need to quit for good. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. I'm joined by guests, Dr. Brianna James, owner and occupational therapist at Authentic Living LLC, providing in-home and telehealth services for people recovering from stroke and managing chronic disease. Also joining us is guest Ms. Emily Bile, owner and occupational therapist at Wellhaven Occupational Therapy, who provides rehabilitation, education, and home safety resources in person and virtually throughout Alaska. Are you a caregiver for a family member and struggling to manage multiple chronic diseases? Are you curious about the support options available to caregivers? Are you aging and at times struggle to complete everyday tasks that were once routine? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 907-550-8433, 907-550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Welcome back, ladies. I think we have to address the insurance aspect of your services. So is this covered by Medicare for our aging adults, uh, commercial insurances, government payers? What do we need to know? So, so um, occupational therapy is a healthcare service. And if an older adult's um, diagnosis or issues are medically necessary to be treated by an occupational therapist, they will be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and other commercial insurances. Um, that said, with Medicare, I believe our caller that just called in Paul, um, it sounds like his mom received home health care services, which are covered by Medicare Part A. That is generally for an older adult or any adult who's homebound. And so Medicare will cover all the therapy you need, nursing, home health aids in that aspect. Once that episode of care is over, patients with Medicare Part B can obtain therapy services on an outpatient basis. Um, And both Brianna and I have established our businesses to fill that need that once someone has 
progressed from home health care and their episode of care under Medicare Part A is complete, they can still continue to progress by receiving outpatient services at home. So in Medicare Part B covers, there's no therapy cap, so it will cover as long as it's medically necessary. So once they go through that episode of care and they get to the point where they've reached their potential for ability to care for themselves, the caregiver has learned more um, efficient ways to communicate and care for their loved one, Medicare also covers maintenance. So that means um, someone might be susceptible to decline without the um, intervention of a therapist, usually every three or four weeks until we can see that they're able to maintain the gains that they have made in therapy. So how can we advocate for our loved ones or those we're caring for at that point when they finish that initial uh, intervention, do they need to go back to the primary care to get another referral or can people, how do people find you? Can they just make an appointment with you or do they need to have a referral? So we, so that can happen um, from your provider. They can make a referral, but Alaska is a direct access state for, for, ther- for occupational therapy. So somebody can self-refer to us, um, to a provider, and then we would evaluate that patient. And then we do have to have their provider sign off on our evaluation and plan of care for most insurances to cover our services. So it's it, so we do have that engagement and interaction with their with their medical providers. Okay, that's good to know, Dr. James. So someone could come to see you and then at that point you would help to facilitate the conversation with their referral source, I guess for ongoing support. Correct. Correct. We have another caller. We've got Kristen from Anchor Point. Welcome to line one, Kristen. Thank you very much. Um, I was wondering, uh, in the giving of care, if you find that there's cultural uh, differences, like between caring for white people or African Americans or Native people or Latinx people, uh, do you run into? Do you have to use uh, different therapies sometimes when when running when helping these people because their cultural differences? Uh, kind of demand that, you know, uh, uh, how you treat them and, and how, how you uh, approach the problem? That's a great question. Thank you for that. Yeah, Dr. Abso- James? Absolutely. I think that is a great question. And it's something that as an occupational therapist, I'm really mindful of when I meet a patient and really try to understand um, their, their cultural norms um, and things that are important to them culturally. Because we all have different ways of doing things, especially and especially when we, we work with individuals of different cultures. So um, sometimes we, we just are very clear in our questioning about, okay, well, how would you like this done? Are there certain traditions or certain ways of doing things that, um, that I should be mindful of when I'm working with you? Um, in some cultures, they're very... They're very modest, right? So if you're if you need to address a dressing task with somebody who who doesn't doesn't um, feel comfortable with you being in their space and watching them do that, you have to find a way to continue to respect them 
while helping them in that area. I've also found that with occupational therapy, we are addressing a patient's um, community, and that includes their family and how their family functions. And I've noticed a difference between different cultures and cultures in how what it means to care for an elder. And that is something we as OTs take into account because in some cultures, you know, independence till the day they die is very important. In others, um, the elders are cared for by the younger members of their family. So we ask, like, what is important to them? What does success look like for them? You know, I can't assume that it's be, they will have to be independent in all their self-care when the, the adult children and the grandchildren are more than happy to care for their loved one. So we keep those things in mind when developing a plan of care. That's a great point, Ms. Vile. What does success look like for them? So it seems like you both ask a lot of questions because we can't assume that you know every culture, but you ask questions and they share, and, and most people like to share things about their culture and heritage. So we actually have another caller. We've got June from Anchorage. June, welcome to line one. Thank you so much. What is your question for us? I have, um, <clears throat> I'm 63 and um, I lost a significant other uh, 15 years couple of years ago for multiple myeloma and I find myself forgetting a lot like I woke up one morning and I went to the door my door and I wonder why am I having keys what am I doing here and I would be like trying to figure out what's going on with me and i I hope it's not an early onset of dementia or something because a couple of times I would go make coffee and I would stand there in front of the coffee pot wondering, what am I doing here? Am I supposed to be making coffee or what time is it today or what day is it today? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, so thank I'm you, June. Concerned. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing that experience and being vulnerable, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Let, why don't we start by just sharing with June some of the symptoms of dementia and then sharing what should she do, who should she see to get an evaluation? So as we age, we generally will have some memory issues, but dementia is not a natural cause of aging, um, or sorry, it doesn't result from aging. It, it's when you have short-term memory problems, difficulty problem-solving, um, not remembering the names of familiar people. Those are some of the signs that we start to see that may indicate there's something under the surface. So June, I would encourage you to get a complete medical checkup with your physician um, and express those concerns and anybody who has those concerns to do a full checkup. Um, let your doctor know of the symptoms that you've been having, and they may refer you to someone to do more in-depth in depth cognitive evaluation. And I think sometimes when we go to primary care, we're going to listen to our heart and our lungs and talk about medications, and we may not bring up these things that we're having issues with memory 
in forgetfulness. I, I know now in some of our, our younger adults who are very cognizant of our um, people are talking more about memory and brain fog, especially in the world of hormones. But I think I've, I've gone to many visits with older adults. They don't feel like that is something that should be discussed at that time. So we need to break down those barriers and make sure that they are open and talking about their mental health, their cognitive health is very important at those visits too. So then they would need to request an evaluation. And if you don't feel comfortable, you know, bring an advocate. If you have somebody you feel safe with that you know is able to advocate for you, you know, because it is hard. Um, so, so bring somebody with you to these appointments. I would also encourage anyone who doesn't have their documents in order, um, their legal, financial, advanced directive documents, to get those in order when they start noticing these issues because you want to have that backing and have your wishes um, written out so that your physicians, your family can take care of you in the way you want to be taken care of. And those are things we may not remember. So thank you for reminding us. Those are very important things for everyone. Uh, Dr. James, you shared earlier that statistic about 20% of Alaskans 45 or older with one or more chronic diseases also may suffer cognitive decline. So that's a pretty scary statistic because there are many of us with chronic medical problems. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it is. It's it is concerning um, because and so that so and then as we age, right? And so si as sixty five and older, um, you you start to see even more even more um, chronic conditions and cognitive decline. And so as you have these chronic conditions and with cognitive decline, it becomes harder to manage. Um, so that's where I really see the the role of occupational therapy and providers is in, well, if a person is, is having these chronic conditions, we should really be screening um, for cognition um, to see if that's impacting them on a daily basis because managing chronic conditions requires a lot, a lot of medications, a lot of doctor's appointments. Um, there's a lot of different things going on. And, and if you can't remember to do those things, then those conditions can get worse. And your ability to do the things that you want to do, um, that can become even more, even more challenging. So I think it's really important that, that, you know, that we understand this so we can, like you spoke earlier about, can we intervene a little bit earlier? I see that as a window to say, okay, you know, you have three chronic chronic conditions, you might not be reporting cognitive decline, but knowing the statistic, we should look into this area. Can you talk a little bit more about your individual practices? Because I know they do differ. Uh, so maybe Dr. James, talk about yours, because I know you deal with the chronic uh, medical conditions, and then we'll have Ms. Bile talk about hers and uh, the aging in place. Yeah, so Emily and I, so I feel like we're kind of at, at slightly just different ends of the spectrum of kind of the same issue. So um, for chronic conditions such as arthritis or hypertension, oftentimes people are recommended to implore lifestyle habits, to change their lifestyle, which is the evidence shows that for a lot of these conditions, that's helpful in reducing their severity. 
and and people are are they read information i need to exercise more i need to improve my eating but i think we all know that it's much easier to say we're going to do something than to actually do it especially as those conditions add up so for example if you have somebody who's experiencing chronic pain from something like arthritis and they also have hypertension they also have high blood pressure and maybe they're pre-diabetic and we're making the recommendation get more exercise eat healthier for that hypertension but they're really limited by their pain so they might want to do those things but pain might be preventing them from doing it so in my role um, and with my practice i really help people implement these lifestyle changes into their daily lives while being mindful of their medical history. So always keeping that in mind. Um, so how can I help them embed these healthy routines and healthy habits into their daily lives um, to reduce the severity of those chronic conditions or manage them? What is the average age of the patients you see? So I, I would say about 50 to 65. Interesting. So, and do you get mostly self-referrals or referrals from medical providers? So at this point, being very new, a lot of what I've done with chronic conditions has been more in the hospital setting mm-hmm. or in the skilled nursing, faci- skilled nursing facility setting. So all of those referrals have come from doctors. So with this new setting of going into people's homes, um, right now, word of mouth and coming from, um, you know, uh, referrals, like self-referrals, I guess. Because thinking back to medical school and residency, and it was, you know, not in as a PCP, right? But I'm thinking there wasn't much education about the role of occupational therapy outside of the hospital. And what you've described to me, a patient that has limited, may have limited mobility due to pain, but needing to increase exercise could help so many people. So I think that if we all knew the reach that you had, there would be there would be too many patients probably for what you could handle. But very interesting. I don't know if a lot of us know the expanse of occupational therapy as an outpatient basis. Ms. Bile, do you want to tell us more about your practice? Sure. Um, my practice focuses on older adults and aging in place as safely as possible. I worked in the hospital setting and witnessed many of my patients being discharged to less than safe um, situations just based on how their home was set up, what, what um, equipment they had. And we saw a lot of them return, unfortunately, to the hospital. So I was inspired to be able to have a practice that provides home safety assessments, makes recommendations, which are usually free or very low cost to improve safety in the home and be a resource for people who want more um, larger remodels when they're thinking about, I want to stay in this house for years down the road. I know I need to do something with this bathroom that was built in the 1950s. So I'm there to basically help guide them in a way that they can stay at home as long as possible. And then additionally, because dementia 
care is a huge passion of mine. I do a lot of caregiver training and education of how they can best care for their loved one at home because we know that 70 to 80% of adults with dementia will live at home. They won't be going to an assisted living or a memory care. And um, based on our current environment in Alaska, the wait list for those places can be fairly long. So my job is to come in that objective view of how this person is functioning, what they're able to do, what barriers are preventing them from doing their self-care, making themselves a cup of coffee, um, and really still engaging in their day, and working with the caregiver to educate them on the communication strategies with that person, managing expectations of that person, and creating a safe environment for them to thrive. And what I've noticed is many caregivers maybe will overestimate the amount the person with dementia can do or underestimate. And I'm there to kind of find that that ground where they're functioning at their best. Thank you. Well, we do have to take a short break, but I do want to get into more of the resources that are available in Alaska and where we may be lacking in our support to caregivers and the aging So let's first take a short break for the stations down the line. If you have a question or comment for our guests today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, or in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. We'll continue our discussion on aging in place and caregiver support when we return. You are listening to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. On June 11th, Alaska will have the first round of a special election to fill the open seat in Congress. Every Alaskan voter will receive a ballot in the mail. In the June 11th primary, you can only vote for one person. The ranking happens later. Pick your favorite candidate, sign, and get a friend to sign as well. Then mail it back. And remember that June 11th is the Pick One primary. This message sponsored by Alaskans for Better Elections. Welcome back to Line One. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Our guests today are occupational therapists, Dr. Brianna James and Ms. Emily Bile. At Authentic Living LLC, Dr. James specializes in post-stroke rehabilitation. At Wellhaven Occupational Therapy, Ms. Bile specializes in geriatric care. You can also join our conversation. Have you struggled to find access to outpatient services for the elderly? Are you searching for resources to provide at-home assistance? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752. 1-888-353-5752 in Anchorage at 907-550-8433, 907-550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. So let's talk about Alaska and the resources that are available here for people that are aging, people who may need a little more support, and to caregivers. So Brianna and I both started our practices to fill a gap in care. 
However, while I'm building my practice, I've met a lot of great organizations and people that work in them that do provide services for older adults. Um, so the Aging and Disability Resource Center is a great place to start for people who want to learn more about the resources in Anchorage and, in, and throughout the state. For people specifically who are having, who have Alzheimer's or related dementias, Alzheimer's Resource of Alaska is a great organization. They provide a ton of free education. Um, I believe they have several webinars a month that people can attend to learn more about dementia. They have um, classes that caregivers can attend to learn about caregiving and care coordinators to help people access the resources that they need. Um, and then lastly, I just want to mention there are grants available for people who need home modifications. There are different stipulations for who qualifies, but there's grants through um, the Alzheimer's Resource of Alaska, Aging and Disability Resource Center, and even the Brain Injury Network. So those are a few um, resources to keep in mind. Very important. Uh, you did mention earlier about the remodeling of the home and how you can step in and help with that. And definitely things you don't think about until you're there and you need it to be done. So mm-hmm. with the this grant, this is for people that may not necessarily have a dementia diagnosis, but perhaps are, are aging and may have some mobility issues. Would they qualify for that too if they meet the... The grants through the Alzheimer's Resource of Alaska, I believe, are limited to those who have a diagnosis. But grants through the Aging and Disability Resource Center have different stipulations, and usually it's difficulty with mobility that would um, be one of the qualifiers. So if that's something someone is interested in, I would encourage them to reach out to the center and get more information. Thank you. Okay, and we can share some of those resources on the website as well, so people will have that. Uh, You know, I need to talk a little bit about COVID and the changes that that has brought on and perhaps is going to be expanding your virtual services, hopefully. Can you tell us how not only has COVID impacted, but then are you seeing uh, issues with people suffering from long COVID and those effects? So, yeah, I think, first of all, with COVID and occupational therapy therapy specifically, it really allowed us to do the teletherapy portion so we can be more accessible to more people. So I think that was a that was a positive thing that came from it. Um, the other piece of that is seeing a lot of people, so not so much as from long COVID that I've seen personally, but from people experiencing that loss of social engagement, um, change of routines that happened because of COVID, and really how that's impacted their lives and their, their, their health. Um, so that's where I've seen that. I've had more teletherapy appointments. Some of it is based on either the patient has comorbidities that might um, make them more susceptible to getting ill or caregivers as well who want to prevent as many people coming in and out of the home as possible. So it gives us an option to provide therapeutic services safely. Um, I do think this has opened the door for other ways to reach patients. There's a lot of health technology that is being developed 
to work with caregivers, people who are wanting to age in place. And one of the thing, things that we have been doing is working with Health Tie. They're an incubator based in Alaska that works with healthcare professionals and tech entrepreneurs. So we're seeing different things like virtual therapy models, um, remote monitoring, so our patients can check in with us more frequently than the typical therapy appointment. So we're getting more information about their daily lives and able to bring that to our therapy appointments and make it more custom for them. And a few of some of these new products that are coming out or are things like medication apps and that are connected to um, a medication dispenser so that it will automatically dispense medication and it will text maybe a loved one that, okay, this person has taken their medication. So there's a lot of like integrated technology that's coming out that I think we're going to see in the next few years. And I that may be help more helpful for people who don't have access to regular outpatient therapists in their community. There's other ways that they can access care and support. I like that technology piece, and I have seen that. I've seen with Amazon Pharmacy, they have a dispenser and little packets, probably not the best for the environment, the little plastic packets, but they're labeled with the date and with the time that you're supposed to take them. Mm-hmm. So in someone who maybe is independently living, they can they can just take out that one packet and then the next packet will be there with the time. Um, I love the idea of texting because I have heard that from patients that they'll forget if they took their medication or not, and then they may take it again. And it could be something that dangerously lowers blood pressure. Um, so the great resources. So those have come out of this pandemic is just having more of a um, dependency, I guess, on technology and developing more. Have you been able to reach outside of, of Anchorage? And is that something that with the telehealth, you'll be able to go into their communities uh, and, and help them outside of the city? So I haven't had the opportunity to go outside of Anchorage, but that is the hope. That is the hope by having the option for telehealth that I can not only provide services within Anchorage, but within villages that do have um, broadband, that do have internet services. So um, while telehealth, teletherapy is great, um, we still have to remember that there are many communities that don't have that. So they don't have the in-person, but they also are lacking internet coverage. So, um, and maybe Emily has some more to share on that. Yeah, right now I've worked with mainly people in the Anchorage Bowl, but the goal is to be able to reach people who um, are in those rural communities that don't have access. So I think the ideal therapy is in your home, person to person, but the fact of the matter is that's not going to be feasible for a lot of adults in our in our state. So the more we can open this up to people through, I know broadband access will be expanding, which is wonderful. Yes. Um, I believe the state just passed legislation that Medicaid would cover teletherapy continually. And um, I, I'm hoping that this summer, Medicare will make it permanent to be to um, reimburse for teletherapy. It was part of the public health emergency with COVID, 
But as we're seeing the benefits, and particularly with people in rural communities, um, the access should be permanent so that they don't lose some of the access they've actually gained during COVID. Oh, I hope we don't go backwards. We need to keep progressing. What are some of the other challenges or are there other challenges that you see to our aging population in Alaska specifically? I think that just given our environment, um, I think that when we look at housing in Alaska, it's, it's really not aging in place friendly. Um, most, uh, most houses here are split level homes. Um, so stairs up and stairs down and with nothing in between. So you have to, you know, you have to go up and you have to go down some stairs. Um, and so that can be really difficult for people when you're aging in place to navigate stairs or even just the snow, right? Um, if you are no longer driving and you need to take public transportation, um, you know, unfortunately there are times when you're driving and you see somebody trying to operate a, a walker right in the deep snow um so with impossible impossible mm -hmm. yeah impossible and dangerous um and that prevents them from going outside of their home um with, which further impacts their health yeah we do have services that provide rides like anchor rides and um adult day programs but if you are an independent person and sometimes public transportation is not as convenient for you or accessible to you. Same with sidewalks and living in a walkable community. Most of the neighborhoods require driving. So there's those are some um, aspects we see. And when people do look into assisted living, we know they're much more expensive than the lower 48. So the average price of an assisted living for a month is almost $7,000 which is well over $2,000 more than in the lower 48. So there's economical barriers as well. Well, well, you both shared a wealth of information with us today. Thank you so much. You've given us so much to think about and a way to advocate for our families. Our thanks to our guests, Dr. Brianna James and Ms. Emily Bile for bringing, being with us today. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adeline Baxter. You can find more information on this and previous programs on our website at alaskapublic.org. Let us know your thoughts or suggestions by emailing us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. This has been Line 1, Your Health Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Thank you. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.